Hello and welcome to another episode of Good For Profit. This is your host Mo and we are bringing you a special release for the end of the year 2022 to celebrate Christmas and New Year's and enter the new year in style. We're bringing you around 10 conversations with mostly founders of tech for good startups but also founders of businesses that are for profit and for good at the same time as is the theme of the podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into one of these conversations. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, Kurpal, pleasure to have you with us here today, my friend. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, like I said earlier, yeah, really, really appreciate the uh, the love and you know being able to speak to you today. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, you're working on some pretty awesome stuff, so I really can't wait for us to tell our audience about it and chat about it. Uh, learn more about the why behind everything and so on. So I, I do like to often actually start with that question, why? Because obviously you're in the quote-unquote tech for good space in a way, right? Yeah. Uh, um, with Stay60 and... Yeah, so we, we have two, uh, I suppose, brands and products um, live at the moment. So the first one is Stay60. And I'll be honest, initially that started because um, I had a routine blood test where the nurse couldn't extract any blood from my veins because I was so wow. dehydrated. Yeah. Um, the weird thing is it happened to my father a couple of years before. So we're obviously a family that just wasn't drinking enough water. Um, I ah, don't know. If so that's the problem. Yeah. Wow. Or I don't know if it's the salty Indian food that was doing it for that, us. That could be it too. Yeah. <laughs> that could be it too. <laughs> just but that's interesting. I, I never realized that dehydration has something to do with it. I thought maybe it's more genetic or, you know, like the veins aren't as easy to find or something like that. Yeah, it's apparently it's a thing where you just need to make sure you are hydrated for them to be able to find the veins and for the blood to actually flow. So, um, wow. yeah, I had to be kind of sent away um, to come back another day. Um, but they said, drink more water, make sure you're drinking more water. Like this is really important. You shouldn't be mm. that dehydrated at your age. Um, so I, I started using single-use plastic bottles, you know, buying the, the standard Evian's. Um, and then it's like clearly this is not good for the planet, and like you know this is a single-use culture. Clearly this, and this was about five six years ago, so it's before the whole big kind of blue planet and uh, the whole kind of big plastic pollution situation was a big thing, or was known okay. about, should I say? Um, mm-hmm. And then I started looking for okay, I need some sort of reusable vessel, but I'll be honest, um, most ninety-five percent of them are off the shelf in China, so they all hence all of the bottles looking the same the coca-cola shape or like the different play of like a little different cap they're all different factories with the same tooling doing exactly the same bottle so it's like i don't really i'm really fussy about the kind of brands that i align with the accessories that i carry it's not about you know labels or anything like that it's just i like good design um Mm. and i just thought you know this these are so utilitarian they just don't look great so then um (laughs) we decided to design our own essentially um, which is where Stay 60 came about, kind of just from that little kind of path and roadmap of, yeah, uh, lack of dehydration, Brilliant. seeing yeah. a gap in the market and something that would fit. As good a reason as ever to start something that promotes drinking more water, right? Yeah, <laughs> because uh, we do get people questioning the name. And it's like, well, yeah, I was going to ask you, what, what does that mean? Yeah, uh, your body is 60% water. Got it. Yeah, we were more overtly kind of like obvious about it on our marketing but it's we kind of pulled it back a little bit and concentrated on focusing on design and the sustainability elements you can't kind of do everything at once so otherwise it becomes a bit sure sure that's really awesome so you were dehydrated um i'm hoping that now you're hydrated um yeah i'm uh, drinking enough water today i have enough reusable water bottles to make sure that i'm really uh, fully hydrated so yeah all fine that's good okay awesome that's that's good so it's worked right that's that's the, <laughs> that, that's the I, I want to thing. carry around the water bottle all the time because it's it is a nice design um and it makes drinking mm. easier because of the certain way that we've designed the cap for example so it means that okay. i am water because it's pleasurable to be drinking out of a vessel that is designed in a certain way well, it is actually the next thing I was going to jump onto and ask you around that because, like, you know, you obviously when you drink water on a day-to-day basis or you drink out of bottles, whatever you're drinking, beer, water, whatever it is, bottles is just one of those things where, you know, one might think we've had it around for so many years, we've kind of figured out how to design a good bottle and what more can we add there? But obviously for you guys, you realize actually there is more that can be done to make it... Um, 
ergonomic would that be a word i could use here that's one of the parts yeah so okay. um ergonomic i suppose a way it fits into your hand kind of your backpack and fits into your life essentially right. so the ergonomics are the certain lines in the form of it that makes it nice to carry the ergonomics of the strap for example which we call the carry strap um which is a nice soft silicon but it means you can grab it from any angle and it bends so you can just really grab it on the go or kind of like carry it around really nicely um, and it won't dig yeah. into your hands like a, a plastic um, or like a metal handle or something. The the cap is kind of the main thing. You semi-twist the top half of it, which means you can drink straight from the cap. However, it um, it 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 kind of um, not limits, but it 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 has a restricted flow to a point because sure. um, what it does it means that you're not gulping water because all that means that it goes straight through your body. So it oh, um, so you've purposefully made the flow slower. Yeah, and also so it doesn't spill. So okay. it's, it's a sipping cap, not a gulping cap. If you want to gulp, you just take the top off completely. So it, it is like a, a more of a, I don't want to say sipping experience, because that sounds like it's like, you know, over Whiskey. <laughs> yeah. 30-year-old, <laughs> 30-year-old, you know, scotch from uh, Speyside. <laughs> Special reserve. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's more, it, we call it a, a sip cap because it is for sipping which means that you're not just gulping water and it goes straight through so it allows your body to absorb more water but it's we we've tested it so many times during the r&d phase to make sure there's enough water to come through so we've, we're happy with kind of Gosh. like the premium level of yeah liquid flow of it so it's quite a big engineering yeah process. you i feel like the r&d process alone would have definitely de- uh, rehydrated you just just you know sipping yeah. so much water yeah if anything <laughs> if anything's come out of it that r&d process of rehydrating myself was uh yeah a good, a good yeah process. but uh yeah it took it took a while it took around two years 18 months to two oh, years wow. of development design and product development just to get elements right even color matching certain parts because we feel that even like the color matching elements really like heightens the premium like ness of it and kind of the design principles of it um so getting that right uh, and getting things spot on was really important for us all the minor details yeah, you do. You do mention somewhere uh, that it's it's a statement. I think that's what you mentioned in your Guardian interview, right? Yeah. So there is a Guardian interview where it's, yeah. it, this was like a couple of years ago, where you know water bottles were coming a statement piece, which we do mm. completely get. Um, it, it is an accessory that people we want people to carry them as an accessory because it means that they are drinking using less single use plastic. So for that, it does have to become a slight statement, and you know differentiated and something that people want to carry whether it's the form of it the kind of you know the the design principles the way it fits into your lifestyle but it's something that's aspirational and people want to carry around with them and show people that they're using and be part of that brand really that's very cool so you're really excuse me you're very much um you know motivated by design uh clearly you love design and you love to design great products right a hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. I'm a bit of a design geek. Um, I didn't study it at university. Oh. It was one of the biggest mistakes I made. I wanted to study architecture. Well, I say biggest mistake. I mean, it hasn't turned out too bad. But um, I mean, I, I think most people end up doing something completely different to what they studied. That's, uh, but that, that's a conversation for, for another time. <laughs> but it is yeah. true. Um, but yeah, I did kind of a safe degree. Um, however, yeah, design is, is super important. I, like, I have a certain design philosophies and like the way that I look at things um, in terms of especially this day and age where you need to stop people scrolling on Instagram and I think the visuals of the product are super important then so the form then it's the purpose behind the brand which makes them stick and gives your brand and your product a soul and a purpose and then it's the function Mm. I think I think in those that way and 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 the form also goes in terms of the branding and everything as well so it's it helps you cut through helps you get that distinct kind of aesthetic which then again helps you try and stop thumb scrolling on you mm. know whether it's an instagram ad whether it's tiktok or something like that so um it's quite funny because talking about that we've set up a new um uh, full service d2c studio called envelope which uh-huh. uses all of our principles for from stay 60 and all the i've got 14 years agency background um wow. in strategy so um, it leads to that really nicely. Um, so we work with purpose-led um, found, founders and departments to create like the brands of tomorrow, essentially. Brilliant. Through a whole, like all, we underpin it with a digital first strategy across everything. So brand, 
it's the um, e-commerce design and build, it's the industrial design, it's the whole manufacturing piece, and then there's the growth elements as well. So it's everything in kind of off the shelf, well, sorry, a turnkey solution for D2C brands. Yeah, you've got the figures down, right? It looks like you've been doing a lot of research into what the right uh, statements are, you know, off the shelf, turnkey, all that jazz. Exactly. Um, are you, if you're dealing with founders and startups, do you find you need to have that lingo though quite often or do you find you can just kind of explain what it is and they get it in a way? Um, that, to a point, yeah. I'm also wary of too many buzzwords coming yeah. from an agency where you can literally play buzzword bingo in meetings. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. Especially with corporates. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest, I think because I'm an entrepreneur and a founder, I think it's, you know, we haven't got everything right. We've had bad manufacturing situations where mm. we were um, quality controlling every single bottle ourselves um, after Christmas wow. and Boxing Day because the, the manufacturing was so bad. This is pre, like, our current network that we have. So, like we've done, we know how hard it can be. So, you know, I'd like to think of we course. speak to entrepreneurs and founders and and, and people that want to develop products in a in a certain way. But um, yeah, I, I was just throwing in the buzzwords for the uh, for the podcast, just in case. Yeah, yeah just in case. No, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, I mean, it's very much the the our audience here can be can be arranged, but uh, very much part of the audience here that we're targeting is you know uh, purpose led founders. So, definitely in the right place and talking to the right people. Um, and actually we've interviewed quite a lot of, uh, purpose-driven founders already on the podcast, working on a variation of things, you know, from promoting circular economy to, uh, working on, uh, traffic analytics to just a whole range, you know, both across hardware and software. Um, and of course for, for founders who are purpose-driven, you know, it, it's kind of in the name, really the purpose tends to be one of the main things that are at the forefront of their minds, and it, it definitely is for us as well, um, uh, where I work at QFinds. Um, and we wouldn't necessarily, maybe this is just us. Um, I think we understand the importance of design and, and, and we know how, how important, I mean, we know how much of a difference it makes when you have a, lot, a beautiful product uh, to the user. Um, but what fascinated me is the way that you ordered things when you mentioned that, you know, it's design first and then I can't remember the second one, but then it's purpose and then it's function, right? Yeah. It's, it's how... form, purpose, function is how I okay. kind of look at things from a design point of view. Uh, but yeah. It's, I suppose it's more than that if you factor in purpose. Just because if you, if you, there are very few new ideas, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Most people have the same idea. You know, bad example. Maybe, is, maybe a slight different variation at most, but yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah. it's all about the execution. So the the form of it and the, the aesthetic really kind of it goes across all touch points. The industrial design, the visual identity, the, the brand. Um, so that, you know, that covers everything from the brand guidelines. Um, that's how you initially, I, I would think, I think most consumers are very visual, especially with the platforms that people are consuming. So hence, you have to hook them in very quickly within the space of two or three seconds. So that's where mm. your visual identity comes into play across all your touch points. Then, like I said, you need a soul and a part so to make them stick and read and understand you and, you know, be a, a good business. So that's where the, the purpose, you know, the soul behind the brand comes into play. And then I think it's the function. I really do. Um, because I feel like there are, you know, very simple products and brands out there, but they just look great and they've got the overall aesthetic right. Um, and, you know, it, they've simplified it. They've gone that way. Instead of if you've got an over-engineered product or over-engineered brand story or something, then if your visuals don't look right, you're, you really won't connect to anyone, I don't think, Um so that's that's why I think that the visual, the visual identity, and the form is kind of is paramount in this day and age in a digital first um, kind of you know environment, economy, and you know trying to attract digital native uh, you know natives as an audience. I think that's kind of your first your first win, I think, and then it's the purpose behind that as well. Yeah, that's quite an interesting way to look at it. Um... I was uh, attending a um, a YC talk yesterday about um, how it's very important, especially this is especially true for software um, 
founders rather than hardware founders, because definitely hardware founders have a whole different set of problems to deal with. Yeah. Um, where, you know, it's like, look, trying to find a hair on fire problem and building the quickest, most rudimentary solution that can fix that and then selling that first. Yeah. So sort of like, you know, in true MVP fashion, like don't worry about design, don't worry about anything else. And the example they gave was quite funny. It was like the, uh, um, you know, if if somebody's hair was on fire, you could pro like the ideal thing they would look for would probably be a bucket of water or, a, you know, a glass of water or something like that so they can mm -hmm. pour it over their head. But if you had nothing but a brick, you could probably still sell them that. Um, because, there, because there's nothing else yeah. around and they would probably still use the brick to try and put the fire yeah. out if the hair is genuinely on fire, right? Um, and so it's really interesting because like from a from an operational point of view, a functional point of view, let's say, um, founders are always told to be fast, be efficient, mm -hmm. just get out there and put something out there. It doesn't matter how it looks, doesn't matter how it works and so on especially so for software founders, for yeah. people that don't require a piece of hardware. Um, but it, it is a very important point as well to what you mentioned, which is around, you know, like if you're selling into a digital first market, if you're selling to Gen Zs and, uh, and younger, for example, is it the case that maybe they're used to a certain level of aesthetic um, when it comes, especially when it comes to kind of like D2C, direct consumer products? Has that been your experience? Yeah, and also a lot of the branding is very similar for D2C. There's a, a real kind of D2C wave of brands that look very similar, that talk the same language. Um, and yeah, even you know, from food and beverage, from like, you know, canned drinks and stuff, they're all, all there's a lot um, that are, are similar. So it's, it's quite difficult to get that cut through um, and create mm -hmm. something that's different, whether it's a, you know, a nootropic brand um, or like an energy drink or anything, it's, it is quite, you know, it's, it's saturated. It really is. So you need to be distinct. That's why the visual identity is really important. It's the first thing that people will see. And it's not just about having a nice visual identity. It's having a distinct visual identity, whether it's the form of a product um, or the brand identity of like um, a nootropic drink or something like that. So just it's, it's making sure you stand out from the crowd, essentially, and don't create a Me Too brand, which we're, you know, really, really keen on. And I think... Um, yeah, that's part of kind of like as part of envelope, as part of our market analysis and part of the strategy mm. we do for, for branding and stuff. But I completely agree when it comes to tech. I think it's about understanding your value proposition quickly. Is there a value proposition and getting your product market fit as quickly as you can before I suppose getting your what your maybe your your seed investment. So it's kind of yeah, mm. you need some sort of proof point to be able to unlock the next stage of investment. Otherwise, investors are going to say. Well, it's a nice idea, but does it work? Like we can't, it's too risky. Yeah. I mean, especially in today's environment, uh, it's definitely gotten much tougher for startups to raise now compared to previously, um, you know, with sentiment and, and everything else. It's, um, it might've been <clears throat> easier at some point and certainly in certain parts of the world, like, you know, in the U S they tend to have a bit of an easier time compared to the UK generally where founders can often be backed on ideas. Um, yeah. and then, you know, investors will chuck in a load of money for them to help them find product market fit because they're investing into the founder or yeah. or the team in the uk you know we're a little bit more cynical uh and like to see a little bit more evidence before before dumping money in generally speaking of course there's all there will always be uh you know like the the sort of uh, outliers but more so today compared to i mean i mean with a potential recession and and so on i mean uh a, a, a beginning of a recession is what it very much is looking like at the moment, right? Yeah. And despite there being money available for funding uh, with VCs, for example, um, people are generally just being a lot more wary of where to put the money right now and trying to make sure they're backing, you know, startups that have a real chance of succeeding. And so with that comes the need to prove the value proposition quite early on, even more so than, than before. Yeah, I agree. I think... Also, if you've, you know, if you're a proven founder and you've exited businesses or, you know, and also if you've got a network, that always helps. I feel like. Um, oh, absolutely. I've, with I've, everything. I've spoken about that before within like, you know, VC investment and things. And if you're, you know, within a certain network, it helps. Like that's. that's 100%. Word of mouth. Yeah. And also like, 
uh, it's something I've spoken about in terms of like the type of people that you see that will get the VC investment, which is great. I mean, it's it's great, but I think there needs to be more of a blend, hundred percent. And yeah, yeah, that's another. That's a bigger conversation. Um, no, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we are. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we're social animals, right? And and humans can be quite tribal um, in in many ways, like the way our brain works. Um, and I think it, it's a really interesting thing that I I have discussions about with friends in in, in some detail um, to try and understand, you know, like where does bias come from? Yeah. Um, where does the affinity to the closest thing to us come from? Um, you know, why is it that if something happens uh, in London, let's say, it affects us so much more than if something happens in in Paris or in Belgium? Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, so it, it, it's quite interesting. There definitely is something there. And and it, it's about trying to unlock what that is, and then see if there's something that can be done about it, right? Yeah, I mean there are, there are diverse yeah. funds coming out now, which is oh yeah, unbelievable yeah. to see, and it's great, and like it's incredible. I want to see those growing and growing and growing because that's that's Definitely. incredible, and that should have happened years ago, but at least it's happening now. So yeah. that's that's a good thing. I think actually going back to kind of like the difference between the UK and the US, I think it definitely is like this part of it. This is the culture thing, where the US are probably more like optimistic and and mm. in the UK like naturally we're a bit more pessimistic um so that I, I kind of get that and also I suppose their economy is doing yes. looking at the, the dollar at the moment it's doing quite well so that's another thing compared to I suppose the sentiment in, in this country well I, I think it's both um I mean I, I try to keep it in t- I try to keep up to date as much as possible with kind of what's happening uh, in both parts of the world, just because obviously I'm also in the startup scene. Um, so it's important to understand, like, you know, how are VCs viewing the world and thinking right now uh, in both both parts. And I think, it's, I think it's across both sides of the pond, so to speak, that we are, that there's, you know, more of a, just a bit, a bit more wariness in terms of where to put money right now. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're talking about the uh, investors, um, sentiment right now and how it's kind of across both sides of the pond really that you have a little bit of kind of awareness on where to put money uh, in startups. So it's quite interesting. But kind of going back to the point about um, diversity, it is definitely pretty good to see that there is more and more funds now uh, in the UK. And it's also really good to see that there is more and more effort being made to try and let people that are from less fortunate backgrounds to get into the game, the VC game. Yeah, I don't know if you've spotted that out there. Uh, yeah, I have. And I agree. I think it's um, people, when I say people from certain backgrounds, it is, you know, it's not necessarily color of skin or gender. No, no. It is people from those lesser fortunate backgrounds that haven't had certain opportunities. Unfortunately, um, that will mean a lot of those people are from ethnic minorities. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. And that's like how it plays out. But it, it can be anyone from anyone, any background. Like, I think just giving opportunity to it's just given those opportunity even if it's like you know jobs but i think even more so it's funding which is great because then it's a case of build for that you know that person who hasn't been as fortunate it's building it's backing them it's giving them the belief and also it's helping them build their own ecosystem because then most likely they are going to be the type of people that will help people like them who are less less fortunate um in kind of like, you know the schooling that they've had or the way they've grown up and like you know what family background they've come from so then i think it kind of breeds that positivity throughout the whole of kind of their own ecosystem which is the best way of doing it and i said you know and actually giving jobs but actually giving a job is one thing giving someone a you know a potential you know um a serious amount of you know, funding to create something of their own is a t- completely different ball game no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, because they're gonna hi- <clears throat> excuse me, they're gonna hire a lot of people. Um, hopefully one day if they if they succeed, and then that that will make a big impact. Um, but it's also about like the role model thing, you know. Um, it's really interesting. Back when I was at um, Cardiff University, I ran for the um, one of the sabbatical officer roles in the students' union. Yeah. Um, and uh, for those who don't know how this works, just very briefly, every university in the UK at least almost all of them, uh, will have what's called the Students' Union, which helps uh, with student matters to make sure the university is you know, delivering what they promise they will, but also help with other student matters and also help organize events for uh, students and societies and clubs and things like that. And 
the bigger the SU, the more of um, an influence they have in the university generally. And some universities have really, really good students unions. And I think I was really fortunate that Cardiff was one of those um, where the students union was genuinely really involved with within internally with the university to make sure that, you know, programs are as good as they can be and, and the student voice is heard and so on and so forth. So there's just a quick, big background on how they work. But um, I did run in one of the, in the election uh, to be one of the sabbatical officers there. And I remember that prior to me, um, there was only ever, um, so there were seven sabbatical officers in total. I think it used to be six and, and then they became seven, like a few years before I joined the uni. Uh, there were there was only ever one uh, person from an ethnic minority background that had been an officer. Mm-hmm. And that was whilst that was I was at university. Um, then I ran, then there was another, then the year after he was there, uh, there was again, just back to the usual, uh, then I ran the year after that and won, and then I was the only one. And then the year after me, I think there were like two or three. And then the year after that, there were more. And I, and it's just, it was really interesting to see that when you have representation, when you have role models, so to speak, not that I think of myself as a role model at all. Um, but just, just even just having my face there. Um, as someone who's from an ethnic background who got into that position, it just motivates and encourages more people from those backgrounds to do the same thing, right? A hundred percent. And just as yeah. possible, really, doesn't it? In terms of like, if, if, if they can do it, then it's setting that path to allow someone else to do it and it makes them feel more comfortable. They don't want to be the first person to set, to step in those, you know, in that, on that path. Yeah. So if they've seen, if they've seen it done before, then it's like, great, I, I can do it. I can get support. And, you know, it's the type of place that I want to be at. And you know, it, it just makes people more comfortable and more, uh, what's the word, more, I suppose, more confident in, in their own ability, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in often it's actually subconscious. Uh, often I don't think it's even, you know, for some people it may be the case that they, they actively think about it that way. But for others, it might just even be that, you know, subconsciously they see this and they think, oh, cool. You know, or you know that person, and you have a chat with them and they're like, oh yeah, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. It's like, you think, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll do that one day too. You know? Yeah. It's that comfort and familiarity, isn't it really? Yeah. It's that yeah. for sure. And like, if you're in an environment where no one's like you, like, you know, it's, it's going to be awkward or a situation. Whereas if you know that there are people are like you that have, you know, crossed that path or that can help you. Yeah. It's a, it's a completely different situation. Yeah, absolutely. So would you consider yourself a second time founder now? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, with Envelope, I would say that I am a second-time founder. Um, and like I said, we, we literally launched that last week. Um, so wow, congratulations. That's <laughs> very new. Amazing. I feel like the official launch for when you launch something is when you post it on LinkedIn. So uh, for yeah. <laughs> that happened last Absolutely. week. That's, that's the official launch party on LinkedIn uh, last week. So uh, yeah, it's good. Well, congrats. I didn't get the invite though. I'm a little bit upset. I'm, about that. I'm to... really, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send you the video. Footage. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I'd say I am. And it's it's learning across the way. Um, 100%. It's hard being a first time founder. You just don't know what you're doing. So you can speak to as many people, but you learn from mistakes. You learn from what's gone wrong. And you, like, there are stages where it you know, things can fall apart. And there were stages with Stage 60 where I thought it was game over, I'll be honest, in terms of mm. the first manufacturer that we worked with. Um, wow. And the fact that we were running through two and a half, three thousand bottles ourselves, quality controlling them. I mean, literally the worst day uh, of my life. It is nuts. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you take Jeff Bezos' advice and buy knee pads or tables? Oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't drink much on the day. So there you go. It was <laughs> um, and it was just. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was tough, but then you go through that, and it it you know it, it does make you stronger, and it, it's just a learning curve. So um, yeah, and actually we've learned so much through the whole process, which is why we feel like we're really well positioned with the agency background and the network that we have to really help other people do things better, um, accelerate that innovation, and actually create really really future facing like purpose led brands and products. Um, yeah, with everything that we've learned and the experience that we've got. Um, and the way that we do things, awesome. we, we, we actually, you know, we, we charge a lot less because of our agile agency model. So it allows, mm. um, you know, certain levels of startups to actually test things and get things off the ground a bit, you know, test their MVP, MVP potentially a, a lot easier than, than it would instead of, 
you know, people, some agencies charging a fortune for certain things, but you still get to work with the best talent. So we feel like the proposition is, is, is solid and the feedback and what the interest we're getting so far is really good. So yeah, touch wood, it's, it's gone, it's gone well so far. That's very, very good to hear, man. Amazing. Wow. It must, <clears throat> must be a very, a very exciting time for you right now. And you've chosen to work with purpose-led startups. You were mentioning, right? Purpose-driven founders. Yeah. Is there, yeah. Is there any reason why um, that is or why you chose to focus on that market? Is it something because you believe in it or is it also kind of there's a gap in the market there that you saw a bit of both? No, I don't think it's as much of a gap anymore, if I'm honest. Because mm-hmm. I think as a brand, you have to be purposeless or have some kind of sustainability like angle or, or, or something that you know allows you to connect. And essentially, we want to work with good people doing good um, and kind of, you know, the heart's in the right place. Um, and everything we've done with Say60 is creating that purpose-led business model, essentially. So everything we've learned from that, we feel like, you know, we can really put into another other people's brands, whether it's the authentic, you know, tone of voice, the brand positioning, to ensure that you're not greenwashing. There's just so many greenwashing companies out there, smaller oh, brands, yes. that we can get this product from here, slap our badge on it, and say that we're doing good when it's actually just an off-the-shelf product. So no, that's not how things work, and that's not how you build a big brand. So we want to big uh, create big brands for other people. So yeah, I think you have to be purpose-led. Um, and then um, yeah, and, and part of what we were doing with Stay Sixty, well, a lot of it is you know the circular, circular material innovation, the experience that we've got in that, um, and we kind of we want to pioneer that for you know the industrial design side of things so it's you know working with making sure that um, a product is made from you know 60% recycled materials for example and and because of that we know that the carbon emission reduction during manufacturing is is x because of the work that we've done and the people that we work with so we can it, it it's just something that we believe in and I don't think we would be able to launch a studio and agency project without focusing on that because that's where our experience is as well that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, there is um, quite an interesting thing you mentioned there, which is that a lot of people were sort of greenwash. Yeah. Um, I suppose, yeah. I mean, try, trying to figure out whether they're actually greenwash it or washing or not uh, must be quite a fun exercise for you. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like this is why I think you don't lead with purpose mm. because actually you need a good product. You need everything else to be good. And then your purpose comes in. Because if you think, like I said, you get a product off the shelf and you slap your badge on it and you say that you're saving the world and you're cleaning water for people or something like that, which happens all the time, like especially in our market, mm. that's greenwashing. You're just creating a Me Too product that's exactly the same. Nobody needs the same product. They can get thousands of the same product from other brands. Like you're not helping the planet. So that's why like, focus on um, your brand, the strategy behind your product. So actually... Again, are you going into such a busy space where you're not creating differentiation? So what's the value that you're giving a consumer? There's no value in your product because it's exactly the same. Make a better product and a better brand. And then it's a case of bring the purpose in as part of that as well. Yeah, I think the same really applies for startups, though. Uh, like other other startups, I mean, like tech startups or, you know, yeah. um, not necessarily DTC, even, even B2B. Is, this is a very similar thing as well. Um yeah, I think it really is about trying to solve a genuine problem or help in a genuine way rather than just simply copying what is out there. Yeah. Um, although with with software, you know, th- there is some advice that goes around from from respectable VCs that it, it's okay if eighty percent of your product is more or less the same as somebody else's, but there's got to be at least twenty percent that's unique, right? That's yours. Yeah. That is different. That that does something better, faster, more cost-effective. Whatever. I I agree. Um, yeah, even even not more so in terms of percentage, but like like we were saying before, there's very few completely unique ideas. And also, I suppose mm-hmm. they're probably VCs are probably quite happy in a way that it's similar to some products because then they can see that there's product market fit already. Because yeah. if if eighty percent of that is similar to a product that's doing really really well then it's like cool we know there's a market for it there's the product market fit how do you make it better that's where the 20 percent comes in so i get that they feel a bit more safe and secure 
then you brand it in a different way. Like you, your messaging is different. And then, yeah, yeah, the extra 20% of something unique, that I suppose is the, the 80% is the safety part of the pyramid, the bottom in a way, yeah. head rock. And then the 20% at the top is kind of your peak in terms of your um, maybe even defensibility, something that's completely unique, gives them yeah. a safety net to say, actually, yeah, we know this does work, so let's go for it. That happens. I mean, if you think of like, um, who is it? Um, not Car Wow. It's um, all the car company, all the car marketplaces that have sprung up. Sure, like, everywhere. sure. They're all, they all look pretty much the same um, because the market has been proven, I suppose, to a point. Um, so everyone's just jumping into it. And also with um, D2C fintech providers that you know provide financing for D2C brands, it's like, actually, yeah, you can make a hell of a lot of money because these companies are making like a Wayflyer or something like that. You know, they've, I think they've invested around $2 billion into D2C startups. Okay, but it's, wow. they're essentially loans. So then you get, hmm. you get an extra percentage back. But then the amount of companies that are doing the same thing with a slight twist on their vertical, yeah, it's, they're literally springing up everywhere because the, the product market fits there. The business model is kind of proven in yeah. a way. Yeah. It, it's also, it's really interesting as well that, you know, eventually, I suppose like that business model, if it's so repeatable and so easily repeatable, then it might, it's probably, it can become a pretty, it just becomes a traditional business model after a while. And so it's no longer kind of like a startup in a way. It kind of just becomes, um, it, it, for some industries, of course, not for all of them. Um, <clears throat> I'm also fascinated though by the other approach to this, which is that, so there's one approach, which is of course the whole 80-20 thing. And then there's another approach, which is for example, like Airbnb's approach where you just kind of rethink the problem and then choose, you forget about the 80% and then you just choose like 10% or 20% of the problem, but do that really well and then do nothing else. So as, as a route of entry to market, which is another approach that can be quite interesting and maybe can be more disruptive in some cases. Um, so to, to kind of like illustrate a little bit more. So, you know, instead of, instead of building hotels and um, um, instead of building extra hotels in places where there are conferences and people and all hotels are, are booked up, Airbnb just thought, well, let's just add more spaces from the pre-existing houses by renting out a living room and an air mattress. You yeah, know? which makes sense. And that's how you become a, that's a real disruptor. Um, exactly. Yeah. To the point that, I mean, People were like, "This is never going to work." And that's where precisely. You need, and this is where you need <laughs> max that credit cards. <laughs> yeah, and this is where you need yeah. to really, really believe in the idea, or find someone else who's mad enough as you are to really believe. Yeah, in yeah. The idea. Um, which they didn't to start with, but then you know it, it obviously got the traction, and they were right, and they proved it right. Um, Absolutely. But that is being like a fundamental like. First which doesn't happen that often let's be honest in terms of like the success rate of people who enter the market for the first time it doesn't happen that often and to get a real disruptor like that so so yeah so it's, it's kind of a, i guess about also picking where you are as a startup and kind of which approach you want to go for yeah it's There's the riskiest, more than one way yeah it's the yeah. riskiest route completely because if it's not proven and you've got to max it in and nobody believes in it and you're maxing out your credit cards i mean that needs a hell of a lot of belief like single-minded tunnel visioned belief but yeah. really believe in an idea which the, i suppose the best entrepreneurs do um sometimes unfortunately like you have to sh shut out some of the negative noise which is what they've done mm. just to like focus on it because they believed it so much i mean probably 90 percent of the times not listening to people and being that 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 tunneled in your vision it's a bad thing because you need to understand feedback and feedback loops and everything. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one, man. It's, it's another dichotomy. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, it's another one of those dichotomies where, you know, how much should you just single-mindedly believe in your vision and go for it? And then how much should you listen to everybody else's feedback? You know, how, how do you balance when to do that and when to do this? And then there'll always be imposter syndrome that will come yeah. knocking on your head like throughout the process. So there's, there's, I mean, there's belief, such strong belief that you might err on the side of being arrogant because you're not listening to anyone, which most people think you will be then. And then there are parts where like, I have imposter syndrome all the time. 
um where it's like actually no and i'll question everything too much but then it's like no this 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 is good but then you know let's be honest as soon as you get good feedback from someone like you know it makes your heart sing a little bit and you kind of it it lifts you a lot so that that's great i mean good feedback and and someone someone who's a paying customer Exactly. Just, just to add, add that caveat there, yeah. you know, getting great feedback from uh, a friend or a family member who loves you, it's, it, it's great. Thank you and really appreciate it. But it doesn't actually necessarily mean that you have a good business model there. It, but getting great feedback from a paying customer, that's a different story. Completely. It, yeah. Good feedback from family doesn't pay the bills. Um, no. And it never will as much as you would like it to. However, you're right. Yeah. Paying customers and also the data, the data always, you know, you can't, you can't argue with the data. If the data is going the right mm. way and you're getting the subscribers that you want, that's the best feedback. And, you know, absolutely, the numbers don't lie, essentially. I want to touch a little bit on um, some of the stuff you're doing at Envelope and obviously some of the stuff you're doing at Stay60. Um, in terms of trying to make a positive impact out there, so, of course, you are, like I, like you mentioned, you know, you're, you're doing this partly because of the rehydration thing. You're also massively into design. You're a design geek, like you said. Um, and another part of it is that you're doing this because it's better for the world. You want to not use as much single use things and so on. Is there anything that you guys used while you're growing as a startup, uh, to try and calculate or measure how much of a positive change or positive impact you're making? Uh, yeah. So you can, you can do things like life cycle analysis, uh, and or life cycle assessment to understand the the life cycle of your product therefore how much plastic waste you're taking single use plastic based on the average consumption of a single you know an average consumption of uh, a person of a year of how many single use bottles for example and it's not just that you take them out it's the carbon so single use products are so bad because obviously the the carbon and the manufacturing emissions that accrued during that manufacture has to keep happening every time you use that product with a reusable product you manufacture it once although you know the manufacturing in the the footprint of that manufacturing is bigger it's still so much lower than someone drinking 200 you know, i don't know, say 150 single-use bottles in a year then you keep multiplying that by the lifespan of your product which is ours is around 10 years so then you can work out the kind of carbon emissions that you saved based on the amount of single-use plastic that you saved also going into the ocean so it's a, it's a double it's the manufacturing element um of the kind of repeat single-use plastic manufacturing and also the man- the single-use plastic bottles that you're you know avoiding going potentially going into the ocean um and also we work with um climate partner so we offset all of our carbon and we work with them and plastic bank to help um ocean cleanup practices as well so we kind of have all of those stats we know exactly what our footprint is in terms of what we do in terms of doing good so we kind of have that model in place where it's easy for us to understand the impact and that model we want to replicate for other brands as well that's 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 part of it it's it has to be tangible you have to show people what you're actually doing instead of just saying talking about it and then it's adding other partnerships you can work with other partners to to you know help other things it depends on the product um other channels and what you believe in as well of course yeah exactly there needs to be synergy with the product that you're you're building um and the brand that you're building but you're right there needs to be something that you believe in um to make sure that you're doing good and partnering with that charity then you know it's the the tangible elements of it a big part of what we're doing is kind of the sustainable circular um material solutions so as part of that if you use a recycled ocean brown plastic for example the the manufacturing um footprint of that compared to virgin materials is so much less so that's mm. what we want to focus on, or recycled stainless steel, or you know, using non-plastic materials that have very similar properties to plastic. So eliminating plastic completely. So that's what we really focus on. That's what we want to essentially be the pioneers on. Um, and then, yeah, as part of that, we make it quite clear. We can do all the calculations, and then you can kind of like, as a brand, highlight this as a tangible kind of benefit of what you're doing and you're not adding more plastic back into the you know virgin plastic into the kind of pipeline you're actually reusing that's one part if you're using ocean brown plastic but like i said there are other recycled materials that we work with and that we want to kind of push more that and, and highlight people should be using this re it's not just reusing products it's reusing the materials so they don't end up end up in landfill or in erosion it's as well. really 
taking it all the way back to the initial part of the production line rather than just thinking about yeah yeah so like a completely closed closed loop in that way um to make it as sustainable a product as possible but making sure that it is still a very good quality product that will last as long as possible as well so it's getting that balance right um because Mm. if the lifespan's bigger you don't have to continuously purchase that product, which again, that's oh yeah, absolutely. In terms of the manufacturing output and the usage output, yeah, absolutely. And how how difficult or hard was it? Uh, sorry, how difficult or easy was it for you to to actually calculate those things early on as a startup? Because you know, like as a founder, there's so many things to focus on. Um, sorry, uh, yeah, as a founder, there are so many things to focus on um, that you can do, and sometimes it can be quite hard to make the time to actually calculate the impact you're making or really think deeply about those things? Like how easy or, dif- or, or difficult was it for you guys when you were uh, starting out with early six- with Stay60? For, for us, it was, a, it was a big part of what we're doing. So it was definitely something that we were, was a priority for us. Um, like I said, to make it tangible and then we can kind of, we can then communicate it. But also for our point of view, it's like, what, what impact are we actually making? But then, you know, we worked with um, a consultant that we work with at the moment now for Envelope as well to calculate that for us. So there's there's a hell of a lot of data and science behind it. You need to use multiple platforms to be able to validate the data that yeah. you're using. And then you can source it properly so people know that you are actually using the right platforms. And also with your manufacturer, like you need to make sure that your manufacturer is completely open and transparent in terms of everything they do because you will be you will need to have that those conversations and understand their understand their processes to be able to get those calculations. So that's where us having a really great network and open and transparent network of manufacturers really helps us achieve that same um, objective for uh, other brands with Envelope as well. But yeah, for us and Stay60, it was definitely something that was really important to us and something that we wanted to highlight from kind of from the get-go really as quickly as we could. So it didn't matter if it was difficult for you, you're going to do it anyway, because it's, it's uh, such a fundamental part of the business, right? A hundred percent. And it, it, it was yeah. difficult. However, what we, I like to build frameworks essentially and learn in, mm-hmm. like quickly. So from what we've done and the, how difficult it was, we now have a framework that we can then build right. for companies. So that's kind of that's just really how great. I work with, because like I said, coming from an agency background and from a strategic background and also kind of project management, like I like building those frameworks and say, like, okay, this is good. Actually, we can make this easier by doing this and actually we can streamline it. if We need to do it in future. So we've done the hard work, which makes it a lot easier for the, the brands in future that we work with. So, but it should be a key part of what they're doing. So we would always recommend, actually, you need to calculate, you need to be tangible. Also the calculation highlights why you should be using circular materials, for example, why the lifespan lifespan of your product needs to be as high as possible and why you need to make sure that it's manufactured to the highest standards and why it should last better. So then it shows that those founders why they should be going down a certain route as well. Makes a lot of sense. And what's your plan then with Stay60 moving forward? So you obviously just launched Envelope. That's going to be taken up uh, time as well, something you're going to carry on, uh, something you want to probably get off the ground properly and, and do a lot of work with and work with incredible clients and help other founders expand your impact. You know, it, you sort of can st- really start compounding the impact you're making if you're helping so many businesses that are purpose-led, which must feel pretty freaking brilliant, really. Um, but what's the plan with Stay60 as well? Are you going to continue doing that on the side? Yeah, it's, it's still still running and, and, and going quite nicely, actually. Um, we are developing some new products and making sure our current line is as sustainable as as possible with with certain um kind of upgrades that we're doing um in terms of the materials and everything so that's and it's also the b2b side of things so we're working with some really great brands to you know the co-branding elements and then they can we highlight the impact that we're making um and then there's a really nice bit that we're building out in terms of the b2b side um okay well and then, yeah, envelopes—the other thing which will be yeah, keeping me busy already. So I like to be—I like to be busy. I'm that guy that freaks out if I'm not busy. So um, <laughs> it's it's good. It, it keeps my brain ticking over. Um, and uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm just kind of looking forward to where things go in the next twelve months or so. But I know that um, things are busy. But I've always thought that busy is good. And if you're quiet, then things aren't going right. That's great. Wow. Um, 
And so with Envelope, I suppose then, I mean, founders listening to this, if they're working on a purpose-driven business, which I'd imagine most people listen to this, uh, most founders listen to this would be, um, if they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? So first of all, there is Stay60, and you mentioned there's a B2B angle to it. So do you want to maybe tell us a bit more about the B2B aspect of it and which kind of companies that you could you, you look at co-branding or partnerships or things like that with? Yeah, so for the co-branding element, we've more of a partnership element. So um, we also work with another partner. So every uh, bottle that you, you buy off us, we also clean up a thousand single-use plastic bottles from the ocean. So then you, you've got really tangible impact as a brand oh. and as a business. So if they want to get in touch, um, there's wholesale at stay60.com. So just wholesale at stayssixty.com. And then you know, our team will get back to you and um, figure out kind of numbers uh, and pricing and everything. And then um, we have like a partnerships deck that we'll send out to people and they get a real proper idea of kind of how we can work and the impact that we can we can do together as a partnership. Um, on Envelope, the URL is envelope.agency. So quite simple, quite straightforward. Um, yeah. And my email is kirpal, so it's K-I-R-P-A-L at envelope.agency. So it's, yeah. Just awesome. envelope and dot agency is quite quite simple. Or go on the website and um, yeah, send a send a um, an entry onto the form and it will, it will go straight to us. But yeah, if it's easier to come direct, I'm more than happy to speak to anyone. We can help really. That's absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much. I mean, there you have it, everyone. So yeah, so if you want to get some design uh, design work done uh, to help you market the DTC uh, brand that you have that is purpose led, then that's the way forward. I think we'll be in touch with you through QFinds uh, at Stay60 to see whether uh, some bottles for stuff uh, is a good idea moving forward. It's good. I think that'd be quite nice if we can help clean up a few thousand bottles from the ocean. I think that's uh, that'd be quite nice. Sounds so, good. Yeah. Look forward to partnering. Absolutely. Kerpa, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, man. Thanks so much for making time today. Um, and one thing that we like to do is invite people back on at some point in the future as we grow, as you grow. Uh, listeners would like to hear about your story as you continue to evolve and get better and so on. Um, so, you know, we'd be happy to have you back on at some point in the future as well. And thanks so much for the time today. Sounds good. Thanks so much for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting again in future. Absolutely. Cheers. Have a beautiful day, my friend. Cheers, man. Cheers. We hope that you liked the episode. This podcast was sponsored by QFind, a hiring platform that matches candidates with jobs and employers based on many factors that ensure longer term alignment. It goes way beyond package and salaries and take into account much, much more than that to ensure a happy uh, working environment for everybody. To find out more about this podcast and to see further releases, we'll be announcing them at the at QFinds.io uh, Instagram page as well as on the qfinds.io website as well as from my own personal uh, Instagram page and my own personal LinkedIn. All information you need that we spoke about in the podcast or this information mentioned here will be mentioned below in the description so take a look visit those links and if you like anything or want to get in touch uh, please do and lastly stay tuned for more. Have an amazing week ahead of you.